At the end of Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus invites personal reflection on all that he's been teaching and all that's come before in a series, a couple of concluding series of binary images. He talks about the two gates, which we talked about last week, the two trees, the two types of fruit. He talks about the two builders. And these images, they show us that Jesus is not simply giving us a TED Talk. He doesn't give us a bunch of interesting information that we respond to. Oh, wow, that's very stimulating. No, he leads us to a place of decision in the Sermon on the Mount. A decision that actually has dire consequences. Follow Jesus as a disciple in his kingdom and have life. Or reject Jesus and his authority and face destruction. And in our passage this morning, in chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, right in the middle of this series of images, Jesus is speaking to us, and he confronts us, and he asks us, who are you following? Who are you listening to? And he challenges, and he invites us to exercise wisdom and discernment, because the consequences of who we listen to in this life are very serious. So we're going to jump into this passage in 7, 15 to 20 and unpack it. And as we do so, we're going to have three points. We're going to look at true and false prophets, true and false fruit, and true and false flourishing. So let me invite you to look at Jesus' words in verse 15 in our first point. Jesus says this, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So Christ City, all throughout scripture, there have been the choice put before God's people, uh, who will you listen to? There are dire consequences to making the right choice. Will you listen to this person or to that person? Starting in Genesis chapter 2, and the first couple is faced with the decision, will we follow the serpent and his lies, or will we listen to God? All the way to the end of the, of the Bible. That's the beginning of Genesis. All the way to the end of the Bible. The Bible's full of this sort of warning. And in the book of Revelation, we see the, the false prophet par excellence, the false prophet extraordinaire, and he ends up being the servant of Satan. And there's a challenge. Who will you listen to? Be careful who you listen to. Today, of course, myriads of books and gurus and pastors and teachers and mentors They're all around us, and we're faced all the time with this question. Who are we going to listen to? Who will we follow? And Jesus warns us that choosing who to listen to, choosing who to follow, is actually not always that easy. It's very difficult sometimes to discern. Outwardly, everything might look good. These false prophets, they're charming. They're kind. They can say the right thing. Looks good on the outside. But when when the sheep suit comes off, It reveals inside ugliness and horror as as a wolf comes out and is seen to be what it is. So what do we do? How do we wisely discern who we should follow when it's not so easy to discern the inner person from the outer person that we see on the outside around us? What are we going to do? Well, Jesus tells us. Look with me at our second point as he teaches us about true and false fruit in verses 16 to 18. Jesus says this. He says, you will recognize them You will recognize them. You can recognize them by their fruits. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
instructed for us. She just helps us understand that there is a way that we can discern and make sure that we're not following a wolf that's just merely put on sheep's clothing. You know, back when I was young, growing up, I lived on a hobby farm uh, that used to be a Japanese orchard. And on that farm, much of the fruit trees from that Japanese orchard still remained. We had all kinds of varieties of apples, uh, a ton of varieties of, of pears. We had Bosch pears and others that we didn't even know what they were, so we hardly ate them. I don't think we realized that they were delicious and amazing. We had different cherry trees. We had various plums uh, and so on and so forth. But when we moved in to that new place, uh, my three-year-old self wasn't very skilled in the ways of trees. And my parents were not arborist. And as a result, when we moved in, we had no idea what we were really looking at. What are these trees? And what kind of fruit trees are they? Are they fruit trees at all? We don't know. But thankfully, there was an easy way for us to find out. It was simple. All we had to do was wait. If we just waited until the fruit trees came into season, we would see what sort of fruit came forward and we would know what the tree was. We just waited for the fruit. You know, when it comes to evaluating true and false prophets, I think that those of us who are Christians— those of us who maybe are familiar with the things the Bible teaches, oftentimes we think about evaluating false prophets based on the correctness of what they say. We do something like this, like here's the arithmetic. Hey, they, they, this person, they say something right. Oh, great, then they're not a false prophet. Did this person says something that is wrong. Is it false? Okay, well then no, we won't follow them and that person is a false prophet after all. But is that what Jesus is teaching us here? Is that exactly what he's saying in this passage as he warns us about false prophets? I don't think it is. It's not exactly what he's saying. You see, in the same way that throughout the sermon, Jesus has been teaching us about a greater righteousness that is inward as well as outward. It's not just murder, remember, but it's the hatred in the heart that's the problem. Not just adultery, but it's the lust in the heart that's a problem. Not just, the, not just the outward, but the inward. So here, he is teaching us to evaluate teachers or prophets based on inward and outward alignment. Inward and outward alignment that will inevitably produce good fruit. The questions that we could ask would be, in terms of Jesus' teaching and the context of the whole Sermon on the Mount, we could say, is there a wholehearted openness and devotion to God that's apparent? Is there a life characterized by true and deep repentance? Is there a heart orientation in this world to please God, to live for him out of love for him, knowing his love rather than man? Or do they receive God's love as a child and love him in return and extend that love outward towards others? If so, if there's a wholeness of heart, if there's a righteousness greater than the scribes of the Pharisees, a righteousness that fulfills the law as followers of Jesus, then they will produce good fruit. Concrete righteousness and mercy and love and compassion and forgiveness will grow within them by the power of the Holy Spirit as they follow Jesus, and it will characterize their lives. The good tree will produce good fruit, and the bad tree will produce bad. Sadly, in our lives today, we have many examples of bad trees producing bad fruit. In my own life, in my own pursuit of ministry, uh, from the time that I went into seminary until now, there's been an extraordinary number of people that have even been some of my own personal heroes 
who have uh, been revealed to be what they are, to be shown through different uh, scandals uh, to not be good trees as their ministries have imploded. And outwardly, these were pastors and teachers who had it all. They had the speaking engagements at all the Christian conferences. They had uh, the writing deals. They were the bloggers on the Christian platforms. They had the greatest number of followers on their social media. They were the leaders not of churches of 100 or 200, but of 1,000 or maybe 10,000 or maybe more. But sadly and tragically, as time went by, their fruit was seen for what it was. For a while, it looked good, right? I mean, people were just leaving their own small local churches that maybe were unhealthy and, and running in droves to join these large churches that seemed to be going so well. But so often in these situations, to the wise and the discerning observer, something was significantly off. Something wasn't right. And ultimately, these ministries collapsed in scandal and many Christians were hurt as a result. They were bad trees. And they bore bad fruit. You know, in Jesus' day, there was a similar problem that was facing his disciples and the people he was teaching. Because there were many people around them who looked good on the outside, who seemed attractive and worth following. But they were not, in fact, good trees. Jesus confronts these people in his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, in Matthew chapter 23. So here in Matthew 7, he's warning us about being discerning uh, of these situations, being careful who we listen to. But later on in Matthew 23, he confronts these folks directly. I want to show you a couple places uh, here and what he says. But look first with me at 23 verses 1 to 3 and 5 to 7. He warns there, he says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Moses, of course, was uh, in the eyes of the people around Jesus. He was the prophet. He was the one who had received the word of God and had given it uh, to his people. He had written the first five books of the Bible. He was worth listening to. Everything else was coming out of what he said. Jesus says, well, respect that. Respect the, the Pharisees who sit on Moses' seat, who teach uh, from the Torah. So do and observe whatever they tell you. But not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. See, Jesus' great concern was that these Pharisees looked so good on the outside, but they had a deep problem within. Because they loved the wrong thing. They did not live and exist with their hearts oriented and open towards God to live for his praise and in love for him alone. No, they were divided. They wanted the praise of men. They wanted the writing deal and the bigger church rather than the praise of God. And then later in chapter 23, verses 23 to 28, Jesus speaks directly to them. And we see his concern for them that they fail to produce good fruit and have a deep hypocrisy and misalignment of the inner and the outward person. Look what he says to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. 
you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What a heavy word from Jesus. So we could ask, though, why does Jesus say these words into us in Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20? Why does he speak to us about the fruit and the trees and the false teachers? Well, I think it's because he knows that we are often attracted to the external. He knows that you and I are really easily deceived by the whitewashed tomb. He knows that we are often slow and sluggish in evaluating the deep authenticity of the heart and the fruit that comes from good trees. And he knows, moreover, that good fruit isn't flashy. That good fruit is much harder to see. That good fruit is produced slowly as it endures through hardship day by day by day, faithfully producing little by little to the glory of God for a whole life. Good trees, Jesus knows, are those who are characterized by his teaching, who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who seek the praise of God and not of men, who live in repentance, who receive the love of the Father as a child and extend, extend that love outwards to others. You see, Christ City, it's important for us to realize this. Our faith is not merely correct thought. And our faith is certainly not merely emotion, though it includes both correct thought and right emotion. See, no one is worthy of following merely because of their correctness or their passion. Note that. No one is worthy following merely because of their correctness or their passion. What Jesus is teaching us is that only those who are humbly characterized within and without by the righteousness of Jesus are worth following. Those who come to him in that humility and openness and repentance, receiving his love and extending it to others. And what is the end then of these prophets and their followers? Well, Jesus tells us in our last point, true and false flourishing in verses 19 to 20. He says this, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. See, what looks good outwardly may just be empty and vain and ultimately headed towards judgment. As Jesus said in chapter 15, verse 14 of Matthew, he talked about the blind leading the blind and both falling into a pit. On the other hand, what is not flashy, with what is deep and, and wholehearted humility and repentance and love, that will flourish the glory of God. So the question before us then is this, who will we follow, Christ City? Who will we follow? And here's the bottom line for us. Remember the context. Jesus is saying these words to us at the end of his sermon, at the end of his teaching. He's saying it to his disciples in order to throw the gauntlet down to them and say, who will you follow? Will you follow me? 
or will you follow others? See, Jesus knows and is concerned that the disciples, those who would follow him around him, are faced with this choice to follow the false teachers and false prophets around them or to follow him. And he's saying, look wisely at me. Jesus is saying, discern my character and my fruit in contrast to all others. I produce righteous fruit. There is integrity and authenticity to my teaching. Because it's not just something that I say, but it's something that I live as I live richly and fully in love for my Father, for His glory and His glory alone. I produce righteous fruit. And that's so important. Because let's be honest, you don't want and I don't want ever again to be disappointed by following yet another leader who lets us down. It is so hard to see the sheep suit come off and to see the ugliness that is within and to be wrecked and disappointed because we had set our hopes on following that person or that leader. Jesus is saying to us, follow me. I will never let you down. There is no ugliness beneath. There is just love and mercy and good fruit inside and out. Chris City, I want to invite you now and the rest of this time together where we would just stop and take a little time to look at the character of Jesus and to worship, to glory together in who he is. He is gentle. He's compassionate. He's humble. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says this. Jesus speaks to us. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And of course, all throughout the Gospels, we see this lived out as Jesus has mercy and compassion on the sick, on the suffering, on the outcast, on the sinner, as he draws them toward himself to forgive and to heal and to teach. Jesus, throughout his life, was a person who did not break the bruised reed and did not snuff out the smoldering wick. He's patient with us. He's gentle with us. He understands our weakness and our struggle and our suffering. And he shows his righteous character in his service to us, in his love for us, in his patience with us, pouring out his life for the good of others. In Isaiah 53, verses 2 to 4, we read about Jesus the way that it wasn't a flashy exterior that showed forth his righteous character, but a humility, a deep humility and righteous integrity. In Isaiah 53, 2 to 4, look at it with me. We read this. For Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But in his, in his humility and his service, in his lowliness and his righteous integrity, what fruit did Jesus produce? Jesus produced a harvest of righteousness. Myriads and myriads, endless 
good works. In the lives of his followers in his own life, as through him, millions and billions throughout history have been transformed as Jesus lived richly to the glory of his Father and suffered for it. He bore good fruit. He bore good fruit. Look, I want to show you something at the end of Isaiah 53 that we often pass over. At the end of Isaiah 53, we don't look at this very often, but it's a prophecy about the incredible fruit that Jesus, the righteous sufferer, the lowly and the humble sufferer, how he would bear incredible fruit to the glory of God forever. In Isaiah 53, verses 10 to 11, we read, He shall see his offspring. That's a significant thing to say. Because throughout the Bible, there's been a promise of offspring that's been consistent, all the way from God's promises to Abraham, that he would bless him and through him richly build this incredible nation and people who would outnumber the stars in the sky as they are the people of God living righteously before him in love. And this now is a reference to Jesus seeing his offspring, Jesus being the one who fulfills that promise. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand as all of God's blessings and promises come to fulfillment through Jesus. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness. And he shall bear their iniquities as Jesus forgives us, brings us forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And we're brought into his presence through him. Christ City, Jesus, though he was humble, though he's not flashy, had the deep inner and outward alignment of the righteousness of God, and he bore good fruit. So do not be deceived. As we conclude, do not be deceived. Who are you listening to? By their fruit, Jesus teaches us, you will know them. As we close, I want to leave you with a couple of exhortations. And first, it's this. I think the first point we take away from this passage and from the Sermon on the Mount is that if you aren't listening to Jesus, you need to start. Jesus never just spoke truth. He lived it. There's a deep alignment and integrity within him as his words and his character are matched. And he is worthy of your listening and of your obedience because of it. Open the Bible then. I want to encourage you, read the word, devour the word, put yourself in a place where you can consistently be be taking scripture and mulling it over and thinking of it and meditating on it and praying to God, God, would you cause me to see Jesus here? Would you cause me to see him and to love him, to be changed by him and transformed into his likeness? Would you work powerfully by your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit to make me like him? Pursue Jesus, listen to him. Receive his word with humility and repentance. The second point I want to leave you with is this. We need to learn to evaluate our teachers by their fruit, not by their external appearance. You know, Jesus certainly knows that that no human leader, no matter how great they are, will ever live up to perfect righteousness as he was fully righteous. But he knows and he promises that that the ones that he has called, the ones that he is working in, he will be working in them to faithfully produce within them good fruit. 
working within them day by day as they walk in humility before him in repentance of their sin and openness to his love to produce something that is valuable and worthwhile in them. So we're called then to evaluate wisely. Look at our leaders. What is the orientation of their heart? Is it humble? Is it contrite? Is it repentant? Do they tremble at the word of God and over time bear fruit that will last? Take time to evaluate wisely and patiently. Don't come to a quick judgment. Show mercy and grace in your evaluation. But evaluate wisely, not at the external, but at the internal, at the fruit. And then third, in light of point two, please pray for your leaders. Pray for me. Pray for your elders. Pray for the leaders of Christ City Church. Pray for your teachers, those that you would listen to uh, outside of Christ City Church. Ask that God would keep us deeply humble. Ask that God would help us to see our sin and to repent, to come to him yet again over and over for his mercy and his grace, to know his love and to extend it to you and to others. Christ City, this week let us go out with confidence knowing that we have Jesus that we have been given the gift of following him, of hearing his words and being shaped by him. Now, as we go out, let's learn to walk in obedience to him, to evaluate wisely and walk in righteousness that is both inward and outward.